Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here for the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm here with Daryl Slater. Um, quick turnaround this week, so we wanted to get you guys a pod before Thursday night's game against Washington. Um, disclaimer, Daryl was not at the Giants game on Sunday because he had uh, more interesting endeavors to pursue in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would say the game was interesting. For sure, in, in some ways, didn't turn out positively for the Jets, but not uh, many things do. Yeah, no, but I think uh, you know, they think in some ways they'll be an interesting team. But yes, I was down in Charlotte eating barbecue and incidentally also covering the Jets game, <laughs> the Sam Darnold Bowl, as you will. Um, but yes, I mean he missed a pretty terrible Giants performance on Sunday. I'm sure he's read about it since then. Um, uh, we, we can run through some stuff coming out of that game. I'll, I'll cover a lot of the stuff that was in the game, but. Um, suffice to say, it was a very bad performance. I mean, when when you when you came out of you know your Jets haze and all the coverage you were doing, like what what did you think when you saw what the score was of the Jets? You know, I think I think Steve Politi really hit it on the head. Nothing against your coverage, which, which was <laughs> as usual mediocre at best. But um, oh um, Steve, hey, you know, but you gotta take what you can get. But Steve, it really had an interesting column. I, I thought of you know just kind of weeding through the details. Obviously, Daniel Jones turnover, Saquon Barkley not looking like himself. Uh, those you know those are kind of apparent things. But I think if you look at that game, you know, it's easy to say, look, the Giants really only scored obviously seven points. The, the last six were lipstick on a pig there at the end. Um, so yeah, obviously some concerns about their offense, even though their line their line played probably better than um, expected against the Broncos front. Now, the one area where you kind of look at it, like Steve wrote and said, whoa, this is an eyebrow raiser is the way that defense played. And, you know, you wrote about it after the game immediately, and Steve had a next day column on it. Like, this this should scare the crap out of Giants fans if this defense is going to play this poorly against, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who, you know, solid player. But um, and now they get a, a quarterback in Taylor Heineke who started one game and is 0-1 as a starter. Uh, on Thursday night in Washington, that they can't have a repeat performance of that of that defensive dud. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been I went on a radio show uh, earlier today, and I've been asked about this a couple times. Like, if you had said in the beginning of the season they'd be playing Teddy Bridgewater and Taylor Heineke back to back, you would assume they would win both of those games. If they they lose to Terrell Heineke, who, you know, isn't, he's not necessarily scrubby. He almost beat the Buccaneers in the playoffs. Like he, he can be scrappy. He can move around or whatever. But it, you're, if you want to be a, taken seriously, 
and you start 0-2 against those two quarterbacks when you have some other quarterbacks on the schedule that are going to be a lot harder. Um, that, that causes a lot of concern. And, like, in terms of the defense, like, the secondary was supposed to be the strength of this team. And I would say, you know, Jabril Peppers only played half the snaps. He wasn't very happy about it, uh, which is something we can talk about. Um, you know, Dory Jackson, I don't think, had a great game. J- James Bradbury made a, maybe had his worst game as a Giants corner. I think he gave up, like, six catches on seven targets and, like, 65 yards or something like that. Um, and, yeah, like, the tackling was an issue. And so you had a, a Broncos passing attack led by Pat Shermer, who clearly knew the team, the defense's weakness is from coaching a lot of these guys and just exploited them. And I don't think anyone would have expected waking up on Monday morning thinking, huh, Patrick Graham got outcoached by Pat Shermer. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think we can put the brakes a little bit on this Patrick Graham being a, a you know, a coaching genius thing, nothing against him. Maybe that's a little bit cynical, but we've heard nothing but great things about him, which, which, okay, sure. You know, but I think we need to see a little bit more of a body of work before we, before we deem him to be, um, you know, one of the great defensive coordinators in the NFL today. I mean, he did a great job last season, and, and, and even he would say he has more to prove uh, this year. And, you know, if, if this defense isn't – we talked about it on the first podcast. This should be a top-10 defense. They have the talent. They have a coach who's who's pretty darn sharp and well-regarded. So let's, you know, let's see this group go out and be a top-10 defense. If they're not, it's a disappointment, and it doesn't reflect well on Patrick Graham if, 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 if they're not a top-10 defense, presuming, presuming guys stay healthy. Now, they could get hit by injuries. But, um, you know, presuming guys stay healthy and, you know, we'll get to injuries in a bit. But, you know, for the most part, this defense, you know, emerged from emerged from that game healthy and, uh, you know, has to do a better job this week, as we said, on Thursday. Yeah. And, you know, Washington, you know, you'd remove Heineke, Heineke Fitzpatrick or whatever from the equation. Um, they, they have a lot of weapons. They have Terry McLaurin, a receiver who's given a lot of teams a lot of trouble. They have Antonio Gibson, at running back. Um and they have a couple other uh, weapons I'm blanking on at receiver. They have Logan Thomas, a tight end, a former giant kind of, who bounced in and off their practice squad as a quarterback a while back and has turned into like a better tight end in the NFL than Evan Ingram, which I found kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, improbable. he was a college quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Improbable, I'm at Virginia Tech, improbable rise for him for sure at the position, but he was always a freak athlete at quarterback. Anyway, um, yeah, so they're not like an easy matchup on that side. But, that, but I mean – the main topic going to Thursday is, of course, going to be the same one we've had for the last year and a half or however long since I've been on this beat, uh, and that's the offense and their inability to get anything going. And I think if week one showed us anything, and, you know, again, like everybody re- overreacts to everything week one, but it's all we have to go on. And I think it's not even an overreaction with the Giants because this is what they were doing all last year. And Jason Garrett, again, called like the most bland, uninventive, offense like you could possibly imagine they they opened the game with a 42 yard pass to Darius Slayton which wasn't even necessarily the play design it was it came because uh Denver jumped off sides and so Daniel aired it out he found Darius Slayton 42 yards on the next play the Giants ran a reverse to or an end around or whatever to Kadarius Tony he was out in the field and it was obvious that he was gonna be the one getting the ball because that's the only time they're gonna put that guy in the field so it's not tricking anybody. So they did it. Nobody blocked Von Miller for some reason. If you watch the clip, um, it's really. I think Brian Baldinger actually tweeted out short a little bit ago, like just how bad it was because Kyle Rudolph like did like a what to get a pretend block to make him think they were gonna block him. Then he like ran out to go as if he was running on a route or something like that. And Nate Solder just completely ignored Miller. So he gets into the backfield. They lose six yards on that play. They run it again on the next play, second along, which is one of Jason Garrett's favorite things to do. 
<laughs> they get, and they get tackled for a loss. So they go from field goal range to out of field goal range, and they have to punt it. And this is all just in the first drive. And I think Denver goes back around and scores on their end on that drive. And, and, and you know, and then the, another, another one that sticks out to me is uh, Logan Ryan forces a fumble deep in the Giants' own territory. So the Giants are, you know, they're pretty backed up. And rather than, like, trying to, like, you know, make some plays and get them moving, the Giants call, like, a very conservative, scared sort of, you know, plays. They, they do a run on the first play, gains, like, one yard maybe. They do a short pass attempt to Eli Penny, which goes incomplete, you know, the fullback out of the backfield. And then they attempt to pass to Kyle Rudolph, which completes for, like, a couple yards. And Kyle Rudolph might be the slowest player on the roster. So they, they played scared there. I think they played scared. Their entire offensive game plan was – to be scared of taking big shots downfield because the Broncos are good at defending them, but you still have to take the shots. Like this offense is not good enough. And Saquon clearly wasn't himself yet uh, to the point where like the running attack was clearly not there. And they still kept trying to do all these short plays and Jason Garrett, like just the way he routes they were running and they weren't calling plays for Kenny Galladay. And it's just like, I, I just don't get what that, what that guy's plan is. And, and at a certain point judge deserves criticism for that too. But I mean, you and I have talked about Jason Garrett and we both obviously thought he should have been fired after last season. And there's been some debate about whether it's too late to fire him now or whatever. But like, what, what, what do you think about just the idea that they have, they didn't change anything from last year. So it's not about the players clearly. Right. I thought Jason Garrett was, well, this just shows that I don't really know anything. I'm an, I'm an <laughs> idiot, but I, I thought when they hired him, I was like, oh, it's a pretty good hire, you know. It makes sense. Work out. Yeah. You know, oops. <laughs> yeah. It it has not worked out. It is it has worked out, you know, rather poorly. Um you know, on account of his uh, you know, un- uncreative ways, lack of creativity, um, among other things, and certainly the talent and lack thereof on the offensive line has has limited what they can do. I think if, you know, just talking to Trent Dilfer this week, he talked about, um, you know, how if you have a bad offensive line or a suspect offensive line, now the Giants, they do. I mean, they played pretty well in the opener, but uh, offensive line-wise. But, you know, having a line that's not really solid, is, it limits what the play caller can do. So that that's kind of a caveat. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's not really many excuses for him now. I mean, he has playmakers. He has Kenny Galladay. He has Daniel Jones in the second year in his offense. Like, you know, it's time to deliver some results. And I think if you look at this, you know, the the thought process for not firing in mid-year would be, okay, well, you can't change the offense. You don't have to change the offense. Like, what are you talking – like, no one's asking to just run Urban Meyer's offense all of a sudden. You know, like, you have other coaches on your staff who could presumably do a – you know, there's do a different job, better job of calling the plays within the offense that you already have. I don't necessarily think it's, it's the offense per se, right? I think they – they have enough plays in the offense, right? To, to they have deep shots, right? In the in their playbook. I, would, I, would I mean, I haven't seen the playbook. I would that. presume. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, so everybody points to this, and so Freddie Kitchens called the plays against the Browns, and it, it's kind of like a weird one to look at because number one, they got killed, and number two, Colt McCoy was a quarterback. So, like in both cases, yes. I think it's hard to like evaluate it. But they did take more shots down the field that day, um, and, and maybe that's just Joe Judge wanting to make a considered effort that day, or it's Freddie. Or something, but they 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 judges put Freddie in line to replace Jason Garrett at some point, but because he basically promoted him this offseason to where he kind of has his hands everywhere. Um, I mean, he would be the obvious one, and I don't know. I mean, I get it. It was one week. They're not going to fire him after one week. 
Right. If they, if they come out and again don't score any points on Thursday, and then they come out in week three, you know maybe they don't want to fire them because they have a road game in New Orleans that week. So maybe you get go through four weeks. If after four weeks the offense is still not scoring points, like it, <laughs> you, you something has to change. Um, you can't change your quarterback at this point. Mike Glennon is not a guy you can start. I mean, they, they have who they have on the offensive line. They decided to keep all those guys. So they decided the coaching was the thing. And, and I mean, it, I, I saw a stat. I, I, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of, like, Jason Garrett, is, the offense has scored, like, less than 20 points. I forget what the number of games. Like, most, the majority of the games he has coached, they have scored 20 points or less. Um, and they've only, scored, they've only scored more than 23, I think, like, once or twice. And the one time they scored 30 was against the Cowboys last year, and one of those touchdowns was a defensive touchdown. So um, just like all the evidence is that it's bad. I mean, you keep seeing all all these analysts, especially today, randomly, because they probably all just been watching the All-22 or whatever. Like Dan Orlovsky had a, had a tweet. I can't even read it out because it's – Dan generally knows what he's talking about, I think. He said, God bless the Giants offense. It's just painful to watch scheme-wise. Number one, why are you doing the things you're doing, and why are you the way that you are? <laughs> there is a player given an advantage because of your scheme slash call which i think is a big thing like the idea of scheming a receiver open is not something jason garrett has done and number three can we change the launch point of the qb to something other than behind the center um so i mean it, th- these are like experts so like w- you and i you know we, we're not football guys in quotes or whatever but um it's pretty obvious to see that jason garrett is not like you know calling plays to suit his offense i think nick sirianni the eagles had a good quote today about how you you build the scheme around your players you don't build the players around your scheme essentially was the the idea and the the Giants it seems like just haven't done that for for a long time actually but yeah I mean I think that's a good approach we'll see if Nick Sirianni winds up being a good coach for the Eagles but I think you know that that big picture approach is is the way you have to do it in the NFL these days because you know it's you're never going to necessarily have you know, everybody you want to, you know, run the offense the way ideally you would, right? So you have to kind of adjust, and, and we just haven't seen a lot of flexibility from, from Jason Garrett. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of the positive end, I mean, I, first I should say Nate Solder was awful at right tackle. Um, and Matt Parrott, it wasn't much better when he subbed in for him, so that's going to be a problem all year. Um, we'll get in the offensive line because it's going to look a little different on Thursday night, I think, once we start previewing, but – in terms of like positive stuff, I will say the offensive line played pretty well in pass protection. Andrew Thomas had one of his better games. It was just huge. I think Shane Lemieux, before he left the game, was playing pretty well. Nick Gates was solid. Will Hernandez wasn't great. But that group, you take what you can get. And Sterling Shepard kind of showed what he has been showing throughout training camp. He was their best offensive player by far. Um, I am a little concerned about Saquon. You kind of wrote about this today. Like They're easing him back in, and he clearly was rusty. Um, and not quite the Saquon that you want. He wasn't really hitting holes. He wasn't really running north to south. Um, and he's not a guy right now that's going to, you know, break tackles, I would say. So he didn't really make an impact. Uh, it almost felt like he was a decoy out there in a way. And I, I don't really know if his role is going to be much bigger on Thursday. He played about 50% of the snaps. I would expect more of the same. I mean, you're talking about a five-day window here, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, two games in five days. And a guy coming off serious knee knee surgery and a serious knee injury. So, um, yeah, obviously, but like I wrote today, the Giants are doing the right and smart thing by by not rushing him back with an enormous workload. Now, here's the here's the problem with that. They're going to be through two of their 17 games, and this guy will probably play 
total of about half the snaps. And so there's the problem with that for a running back is finding rhythm. You know, Saquon even acknowledged it. You know, he hasn't played in a full calendar year essentially. Um, and so he's, he, he needs to find rhythm. And the way a guy does that is by getting his normal amount of reps or getting a, a decent number of reps and, and not just 10 carries and one and one catch on three targets, which is what he got in the opener. So, um, that's a challenge for him. How does he knock off the rust and find rhythm? Two things he has to do when he is not being given the reps, you know, necessary to do those things. So uh, at some point they're going to have to unleash him and maybe that's week three. And uh, with the extra rest, they're going to get after this Thursday night game. But um, these first two games are almost like, uh, you know, an ease in period. And, and again, from a medical standpoint and from a, a prudent standpoint that from a, you know, judge, judgment standpoint that's prudent i think um but it, it comes with its drawbacks yeah um and i would say that Devonte booker didn't really show anything to make you feel like he can carry the load either which is concerning um hey, one, one more thing about that game that i want to bring up we talked about Kadarius tony last week i don't really get what they're doing with him um i know he's really raw and he didn't practice much in camp so they want to get him some reps but the way they used him just like didn't make any sense to me. Like they, I, I know every team goes in with a, a plan of what they're going to do on like their first drive or whatever, first two drives. Like they have those plays set out and they practice them all week. But they, they brought him out and it was pretty obvious that he was going to get the ball. He did. He lost six yards. He, he was in for another play and they did the same thing again. And I don't think he gained any yards on that. So it's not like they're bringing him out there and then they're not giving the ball. So now you have the defense aware that, okay, that guy's out there. He's probably going to get it on a reverse. And then he didn't play almost the entire rest of the game until garbage time. And he played five snaps total, I think. Like, it, this is a team that needs to win. <laughs> and I don't really get, you know, trying this gimmick thing. And, you know, Jason Garrick clearly isn't creative enough to, you know, make, make it work with him. But you can't just put him out there and everybody in, on the field knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's not ideal. I mean, that, that that's... If he's know, not ready to play, then he's not ready to play and don't play him. And, and again, getting getting back to something that Trent Dilfer mentioned with the Jets, who also have problems on their offensive line, and he was talking about how to protect uh, a young quarterback, and and he said, look, you know, you have to run a wide variety of plays, and and not be the bottom line is not be predictable. And now that's not rocket science, of course. No offense wants to be predictable, but especially if you have a a suspect offensive line. And again, again, the Giants' offensive line pretty played pretty well in the opener. Does that mean they're going to have a good season? No. I mean, I think we need to see more. But um, the way you kind of protect an offensive line, and, and we'll get into how shorthanded they're going to be on Thursday, at least obviously at one spot, um, is you know is shaking it up, variety of plays, not being predictable. And putting Kadarius Tony out there in that spot, as you said, is the, is the very definition of predictable. Yeah, and so I'm curious to see if they learn from their mistake of how they used him the other day. Like, I don't even have an issue with you playing him throughout the game, but to do it on the first drive, and like not even adjust out of that after and for them to do it right after the 42 yard completion when they should be trying to score. Like, so you're doing a play behind the line of scrimmage. I don't really understand. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they use him, how they use Saquon, if they start getting Kenny Galladay more involved, all that stuff. Cause I mean, it, it's week two. So it, calling it a must win seems ridiculous, but if the giants fall to Owen two, you know, maybe you can beat the Falcons, but then, you know, they have some tough games coming in this first half of the season. And this isn't a team that's built to come back from being down. It's, they can't I, be I think again. It would be a problem. I mean, look, I mean, losing to Teddy Bridgewater and 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 Taylor Heineke would be the, the issue here. I mean, zero and two, not all zero and two is created equal. I think yeah. this is a this would be a particularly concerning zero and two. That's why I think Giants fans are looking at it as like as a should win. You know, the, the Giants should win this game. Um, 
it, it, you know, mathematically, is it a must win? No. I mean, you know, morale wise, it is, is it a must win? No, pro- you know, probably not, you know, but, um, just, you know, if you look at this, you say they lose this game, where, where are the wins coming from? You know, unless they find a, a way to drastically turn around the problems, like if Heineke dices them up, I mean, my goodness, like, you know, what, what is the rest of the season going to bring unless Pat, Patrick Graham can get things turned around? Now that, that's a big what if, cause you know, it's not like Heineke is very good or proven. So, yeah. uh, you know, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. So that, with that, we can spin ahead now. So the injury report came out today since the game is tomorrow. Evan Ingram is going to be out, which is what it was expected. Um, Kyle Rudolph didn't really show me in week one that he's ready to make a huge impact. He's kind of, he's a little slow at this stage of his career. Um, and his blocking wasn't especially great. So I, you hope that maybe he was just easing in after missing most of camp. Um, but the, the big one, I guess, would be left guard Shane Lemieux. Uh, he had a knee injury early in camp. I'm blanking on what exactly the knee injury was. Dan Duggan had reported it. Um, but it's serious enough that he had the option of getting surgery. He chose not to. He's going to play through it. And he played through it for 17 snaps, and then he didn't play the rest of the game. And then now he's out, which is not a great sign. Um, and then the, my, my feeling about what, how they approach the offensive line tomorrow is that it's going to look a lot different. I, I think it's a very po- good possibility that if he doesn't start the game, I think center Nick Gates might move over to left guard at some point. And they put in Billy Price at center, a guy they traded for from the Bengals. They also have Ben Bredesen, who they traded for from the Ravens. So I think Bredesen and Price are going to see the field. So you're going to see kind of a new alignment. And you're doing that against, you know, arguably one of the best, if not, you know, one of the top three or four best defensive lines in the NFL. They have Chase Young and Montez Sweat coming off the edge. They have Jonathan Allen and and uh, Matthew Ioannidis. And there's one more in blanking on the interior. And those guys are all studs. So this is going to be a real tough challenge for guys that haven't really played with this offensive line very much yet, or or Nick Gates moving over to a position that he's probably more natural at guard. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, this isn't an offensive line that has a lot of strengths already. So if, if they're already shuffling in week two, that's not really ideal. No, I mean, I think, like you said, I mean, the straight-up uh, replacement option is Bredesen at left guard, and then you keep uh, Nick Gates at center, who's been pretty solid at center, even though, like you said, that that's a new position for him or was when he, when he moved over there, you know, last year. Um, and then, then there's the, then there's the drastic option, which is Gates to left guard and, and price to center. And, um, you know, price is a guy who, um, I guess the Bengals, right. And they, they, they decided to move on from him and, you know, former high draft pick. And, um, just, just by the way, they traded, really... they traded BJ Hill for him and BJ Hill had two sacks for the Bengals in week one. Yes. So number 21 overall draft pick. I was looking that up just to be sure, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so it depends on how many waves they want to make in terms of new faces. I mean, do they want to just put Breedis in there at left guard and, and roll with it, or do they want to move Gates over and then make another move? So um, this Lemieux injury is going to be an issue all season, it seems. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and then Evan Ingram, the problem with, you know, look, he can't stay on the field. I mean, he played 16 games last year, but – if you look at the totality of his career, this will be the 66th possible game he, he could have played in, uh, um, you know, 16 in the first four years, obviously, and then two this year. Um, he's played in 50 of them. So he's now missed 16 games, counting this Thursday yeah. night um, throughout his career. And that's with him playing all 16 games last year in, in, in his fourth year. So uh, obviously not a great way for him to start things here on the fifth-year option as he plays for a, a contract next offseason. So there's that. And then um, – you know, I think that they'd like they would like to think that Rudolph could be a, a somewhat decent replacement for Ingram, but the, but look, I mean, Lemieux is not a great 
necessarily proven player, but um, I mean, the drop off is is fairly significant there. If you talk about having to either play Price at center or having to play Breedison at left guard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in theory, you know, I guess Breedison was drafted ahead of Lemieux last year, but he's again, he's a guy that the Ravens are willing to just dump right before the season, essentially. Um, I mean, they did get like a fourth, and the and the Giants got back like a, a fifth or whatever it was. But the, I mean, the, the, I think we mentioned this last week. But the irony of them getting Breedison is that it was be, they they cut Kevin Zeitler, which is why the Ravens didn't need Breedison anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the Giants could really use Zeitler right now. But yeah, um, so the offensive line I would say is a concern. Um, and and I talked about it earlier, but I, they really just need to get Kenny Galladay involved much earlier in this game. He's a guy that you know, interestingly, like. He was way more honest than you would expect out of a guy coming into a season. Multiple times he told us that he thought the offense would start slow because all the pieces were out and the offense started slow. And then, you know, this week he he said he thinks they could, the offense can be explosive on Thursday. So if we want to listen to Kenny Galladay, you know, we should have listened to him before, I guess. And if he's right, then they could win this game. <laughs> yeah, you know, I appreciate the honesty there. I mean, I yeah. think any one of us could have looked at it and said it's likely they're going to start yeah, slow. Yeah. and. Um, and and sure enough, they did. I don't I don't think that necessarily comes as a surprise, considering how how few reps these guys um, had together in in training camp. Galladay, especially with Daniel Jones and um, and Kadarius Tony, also as well. So uh, and you talk about Saquon Barkley getting you know, working his way back too. So um, yeah, I think that's to be expected. They yeah, so now they go out and play another really good defense here in the, in Washington and um, a, a front certainly and led by Chase Young that could make life miserable for Daniel Jones and. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ways this game could go sideways for the Giants, for sure. Um, yeah, I think the defense obviously has to do their part against a, a super inexperienced quarterback and, and Heineke, but um, you, you could see some spots in this game where it's definitely concerning for the Giants. And I should say, and I alluded to this earlier, but if, if they lose this game the offense is bad again, I think at some point we all have to point at least part, part of our fingers at, um, at Joe Judge. I mean, he's part of the offensive game plan. Uh, when he talked to us the other day, um, Tuesday, he didn't really. He, he made it sound like they might have a similar game plan to what they had against Denver, being very conservative, not really taking as many shots downfield because the defense they're playing is good at stopping them, which doesn't make sense to me. And so if they if their offense just comes out and is flat again, and number one, you know, he decided to bring back Jason Garrett and he decided to keep this offensive line the way it was, and you know, I think he has a lot of influence in the players they bring in and 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 the plays they call. Like he he skirted criticism for most of last year from a lot of the public um, just because, I mean, he wasn't calling plays. But I, I think you're starting to see the cracks a little bit because I've seen fans get a little more upset with him in this last week. He had that moment with the challenge flag, which was pretty embarrassing. He threw a challenge flag on a play that can't be challenged and lost the timeout in the second half. If they hadn't been so bad the rest of the way, that could have been pretty costly. But, like, what, what do you think about that? Like, you, at, at a certain point, he has to, you know, take some of the blame of what's going on. Here. For sure. You can't have it both ways. You can't be, you can't, you know, w- one of the reasons why he kind of skated is because he doesn't call the offense or the defense, right? So yeah. people look at him as this leader. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he's a fine leader, I guess, right? And, um, um, you know, take no-nonsense no guy, doesn't doesn't take any BS and um, whipping these guys into shape. And that that's all well and good. Um, but if you're going to be a CEO coach, which he is, right? You have to take, um, you know, take the heat for, you know, the CEO type stuff. Everything trickles up, flows up, if you will. Um, all the decisions kind of come back to him and do come back to him. Um, certainly, 
you know, we've seen his his imprint on some of these moves that the Giants have made. And, you know, obviously Dave Gettleman is still the general manager, but you know, it's clear that the judge has um, has some say, a significant say in, in what the Giants do. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can knock Gettleman for some of the things he's done in the past. The Nate Solder contract, obviously, J- Joe Judge had nothing to do with that. But but if you talk particularly about the offensive line with the way they did not address guard this offseason after cutting Kevin Zeitler. Um, yeah, I think that gets back to Joe Judge, certainly, because, you know, he he approves uh, or certainly has a significant input with a lot of these moves um, that, that they do or don't make. So um, and yes, obviously, he he's you know, he was, you know, whether you want to call it paired with Jason Garrett, but he he decided to keep Jason Garrett after last season. He, you know, worked with him certainly for a year, saw what he was all about, even if that, even if there was a strong push from above for Garrett to be the offensive coordinator for judge in year one, he certainly judge could have made a decision there to move on. He, he decided not to, um, and has thrown his support behind Garrett and that, that flows back to judge for sure as the CEO coach. So I don't think he can have it both ways and be a guy who is, uh, you know, this distanced leader from inter- the game planning stuff in terms of the offense, defense, call, calling plays. And then, um, and then just not not take any responsibility. Not to say he's not taking responsibility, but um, I'm sure he's willing to, to take heat. But um, uh, in terms of deserving the heat, I think uh, we're, we're beginning to see, as you said, uh, a little bit more um, going in judges' direction that way. And you now maybe they go out and win by 15, you know, 14, 20 points on Thursday and everyone kind of um, forgets about all this for, for a week. But, you know, it's a week-to-week league, as they say. So, um I think, uh, you know, this has a chance if they lose this game to really sour some things and you'll really start to see for the first time, I would think, sentiment within the fan base, and you're seeing it a little bit already, kind of go, you know, go a little bit more skeptically against Judge. Maybe that's the right word. Yeah, and if, so if they're owned to I how many years in a row is it now that they've been owned to? I can't remember. I've, I've that's a great it. question. I mean, the stat I dug up the other day um, in terms of their slow starts, yeah. I mean, even even beyond just owned to um, yeah, yeah. yeah since, since the Giants' last winning season, you know, they last had a winning season in 2016. Um, since then, starting in 2017, their record in September and October is 5-26. and 26. <laughs> So I, that gets beyond just 0-2. I mean, you're talking about being bad in the first two months of the season. Okay, so so if, if you don't count the one year they made – that one year they made the playoffs in McAdoo, they've been 0-2 every year dating back to 2013. That's uh, that's an insane stat. Yeah. So that's 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17. Just not 16. Yeah. Yeah. So it would, it would, yeah, it would be 13, like, uh, 14, and 15. It would, 17, be, eight, it would 18, be eight of nine years, basically, if they do that again this year. Yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. And this so, would drop them. The Giants fans certainly are frustrated by that. I would yeah. Say. I mean, and this would drop them to five and 27 in, in, in the first two months of the season. And that's just over the. I, I could go back to those previous years that you said. Um, I just went back to their last, their last, uh, their last winning season. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're starting. <laughs> I think it's a here we go again thing, maybe for Jets and Giants fans, because um, Jets are ten and twenty nine since their last winning season in the months of September and October. So you, you know, it's, those have been those sink your season. I mean, you, I know everyone talks about how strong the Giants finished last year. They started one and seven. They started one and seven. Like I mean, that's that's almost impossible to overcome. And guess what? They didn't overcome it. Like yeah, I mean, they, they played to the end of the season in the playoff race because they had a bad division. Well, yeah, but they missed the playoffs because they didn't win one of those eight games. Right, right. 
but they missed the playoffs. Exactly. They missed the playoffs, but they went five and three down the stretch. Um, and they went one and seven to start the year. Like, yeah, I mean, they came close because they were in a bad division. But again, um, this is how you sink your season. I mean, they were one and six in September and October last year. Then they lost the first game in November. They rattle off four straight yeah. wins after that. But um, you, you know, you can, you can, you can't necessarily make your season in September and October. But I think certainly, if you have that kind of really crummy start, you, you can. More often than not, I think last season being an outlier, you can just sink the whole whole darn thing in the first two months of the season. I mean, it's pretty hard to get back from a one and seven hole. Yeah, you have to be in the worst division of all time to do that, which they were. Uh, yeah, it's not happening this year. I mean, it didn't happen last year. They didn't make the playoffs, but like, yeah, I mean, if they start one and six, one and seven again, um, yeah, it's done. The season's over. Yeah. So let's. Uh, so what was what was your uh, prediction for this week? I can't remember what I officially submitted. Let me look. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't know. Let's see. I'll uh, as we're uh, talking here, I, I'll make sure it matches up with what I. I guess as we're publishing have those the Giants winning, I, I don't feel great about it. Yeah, uh, I have them winning as well. It's we'll have that up on the site later tonight if people want to check that out. We have all of our picks, as usual, up there. Um, and. Do you have yours in front of me? I'm going through and I'm trying to find it up right now. I think everyone on our staff picked the Giants. I, oh, I wow. picked. That makes me feel even worse about it. I, I, I have the Giants winning 13 to 10. As you okay. Me, I'm not confident in their offense. So, and if they win, I see their defense kind of winning it for them, essentially. I, I'm on the same. Uh, I, for some reason, I picked the Giants 20 to 13. I don't know if they're going to score 20, maybe 17, 13, if I had to do that again. Um, but it's yes, hard, I, it's hard to predict them scoring touchdowns, honestly. And it's funny. The one thing we didn't, we somehow like skipped over, probably because we've talked about it so many times, that Daniel Jones turned the ball over again in the red zone. So as long as he keeps doing that, like I don't believe they can do anything on offense. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm thinking here in 20 to 13 that he has one of his rare turnover free games. And, and I will say against Washington is when he's had all of his good games in his career. Yep, exactly right. So 20 to 13, maybe 17, 13, I think a low scoring defensive game, you know, and in terms of Jones, he's got 40 turnovers in 28 games. And like, so I, I was curious and I went and crunched the numbers. So he's turned over 1.43 times a game and I won't go through all the numbers, but that's a, that's a higher rate than Sam Darnold had with the Jets. And it's a higher rate than Mark Sanchez had with the Jets, even if you count Mark Sanchez's all of his games, regular season playoffs, or if you just count the regular season. So, um, you know, Darnold and Sanchez especially were known for being turnover machines. And through this, through 28 games of his career and 40 turnovers, Daniel Jones is turning the ball over more than either of those guys. Yeah. I mean, he has 40 turnovers in his career, which is most in the NFL. I think he, he's lost 18 fumbles and Nobody, only one other quarterback, Carson Wentz, has even fumbled the ball away, fumbled the ball at all, eighteen times. Crazy. And he's fumbled it thirty times on his own, like without losing all of them. So, like it's like an abnormal amount to the point where it's. I mean, he fumbled it in, in college too. Like this has been always been a problem, and at a certain point, everybody needs to accept he's not going to get better at it. And you just hope that the thing is, like his rookie year, he turned the ball over a lot, but he also produced a lot of points. Like he had twenty-four touchdown passes. He had eleven last year. And he had one last week. So if you, you almost are more okay with the turnovers if they were actually like taking shots. But the Giants are so scared on offense to do anything that they don't even do that. So they don't score and he turns the ball over. So it's like a, a vicious cycle, I guess. But um, Yeah, all right. We can, we can wrap up on that. 
Um, we'll get back to you guys on our podcast next week. Uh, it'd be nice if we could do it after something more positive, but this Giants team likes to likes to make us be negative all the time. We don't do it on purpose. <laughs> Uh, but on that note, we'll, we'll wrap up there. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you're not subscribed already, we're on all the podcast apps and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.